downloaded TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, man. Listen, man. In these quarantine times, <laughs> it's. I hear you. No, I'm kidding. I mean, yes, I did download it, and it's hilarious. So we're, uh, me and Jen just endlessly scroll. Right. That's what happens, though. It's, it's worse than Instagram. Because, like, on Instagram, you get messages, stuff like that. But TikTok is, like, 150% content. Because you're constantly scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And there's so much variety that you, at that point you just don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, well, I made a TikTok. Like, I did, like, an actual thing with the baby. Yeah. Because Jem would not stop singing this song. <laughs> I was like, okay. She's like, well, let's record one. I'm like, all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on guys your boy elroy here and welcome back to the your boy elroy mma podcast i'm your host josh prepigina and i'm here with my good buddy andre rodriguez andre what's going on what's going on prep yo would you do the honors yes i can i just need to figure out how to work this thing because uh, my motor skills aren't that great with my left hand did i get it did i get it Take two. There you go. Perfect. All right. Now the mood is set. Rooms moved around a little bit. I thought I'd bring back the lighter. That way we can uh, candlelight podcast again. Oh, yes. So, first off, we have a Teespring store. So, I urge everybody, YBE MMA podcast or... Your Boy Elroy MMA Podcast, or go to our Instagram, YBE MMA Podcast, and check the link in our bio, as well as Flow State Dre on Instagram. He has the link, as well as me, Elroy Prepson. I have the link. Feel free to check out all the merch. If you guys have any merch ideas, we are very open to anybody's idea of what you would like to see in a t-shirt hoodie socks leggings whatever teespring lets me do i'm willing to do if you guys want it so please let me know thank you to people who have already purchased um just to rattle off some names damaris angie pash uh my brother jonathan genesis abraham zeus summer andre and me have all purchased gear and I am eternally grateful, as well as Andre. Yes, thank you all for supporting us. It's something that seems small now, but the significance of it and the importance of it is so great. You know, it's awesome to kind of see where you put your time and you invest your time in something, and it and it starts to grow and it starts to kind of flourish. So, I think that's the best part to see that we have supporters who are behind us. So, thank you. The one thing we do ask is if you have purchased merchandise, please do us a favor and tag us on Instagram at YBE MMA Podcast, at Flow State Dre, and at Elroy Prepson. We want to see you guys rep the podcast. 
and just wearing cool stuff. I'm very happy with the designs. I think everybody who's gotten a shirt or hoodie have been very happy with the quality. So once again, thank you so much. And that's enough of the plugging for right now. <laughs> Andre. I came into this podcast. I mean, even you last week were like, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I was like, Andre, I'm not quite sure. But you know what? I'm not willing to take off. I am willing to record over Skype in case it does get bad, worse. Hence, if we can't leave the house. But right now we are recording in person and we're about three feet apart. Andre sneezed in the car and I got a little nervous, but <laughs> I'm, he has washed his hands yes, and I sanitized. Have. Yes. Um. So Sorry. what have you been doing with your time? I mean, not everybody's allowed to work right now. Uh, gyms aren't open. Restaurants aren't open. Stores to shop aren't really open. So what's your time really been consisting of? Watching fights and trying to get more versed on uh, MMA Twitter, like just trying to talk to more people, comment on more posts, retweeting things, kind of keeping up with Ariel Hawani and Brett Okamoto. And uh, yeah, that, I've been doing a lot of that, playing a lot of UFC 3. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that some fighters have gotten back on it, but you know, I've just been, I don't know, just trying to keep my mind busy, trying to not solely think on, you know, what's going on. Yeah, just trying to take that's the one thing i did like about dana pushing for the ufc to continue to run was like this is like an outlet for everybody to forget about what's going on in the world yeah you know what i mean like wrestling's trying to do that but the problem i'm having with the wwe right now is the fact that they're just running like they're running empty arena shows they'll have a match or two and then a whole bunch of old stuff that i've seen already which is fine to like, you know, you're giving away pay-per-view matches and I appreciate it, but it's still like, <clears throat> I don't need it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like I would like more if they played like the WWE network has a ton of stuff like um, behind the scenes, like really cool behind the scenes things. And I think that if they use some more of that stuff, it would endear a lot of the wrestlers to the fans. Yeah. Just like the UFC on Instagram, I think they've been doing a great job, as well as ESPN MMA. Like, as you said, Ariel Hawani, Brett Akimoto, everybody who's a journalist, Instagram lives daily with fighters. And there's been a lot of interesting stuff coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even the fighters having so much time on their hands, like, I think one of the best bits was, like, Rob Whitaker and Darren Till. <laughs> he's, like, talking about all the snacks he's eating now. He's sick of these stupid home workout videos. And then in all of that entire post, Rob just comments, what dip did you use for your Doritos? And I'm just like, bro, that is, like, such a bro moment. It couldn't have get, it couldn't have gotten any more bro than that because we're all fat now. <laughs> and, and especially now due to this crap that's going on, like – People are just eating a lot. <laughs> yeah. has Have you fell for any of the trends that have been, you know, social media-wise? No, no, because I try to steer away because it just makes me think about what's going on. I don't like to think about it often. So I just kind of just, like, lay back and just kind of let all this crap flow. And Yeah, I did do the push-up one. Um, that one I did do because I couldn't say no. <laughs> here's my problem, though. Like, I'm cool with doing push-ups, but, like... If you're going to tag me on something else, don't do just another 10 push-ups. Like, 
like do something else. I don't know, lift a baby or like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like something that would entice me to do it. But uh, yeah, I got tagged like on another. I'm like, I'm not doing it again. I already did it once. Yeah. I mean, I did it once and I was like, man, can I expand on this? But I'm like, mm, I, don't I think know. you're actually the only one that I tagged that did it. Yeah. No, I, when, the people I tagged never did it. Most of them did it. Yeah. And it's fine. I, I guess I. uh I respect that, but it's like you have nothing else to do. Yeah. Like just do the 10 push-ups, but only 10. I'm not doing it again if somebody tags me. That's the thing. Like I've been seeing like Primal Soldier. Like this guy is nuts. Jocko Willink still working out. Michael Chandler. But these guys have home gyms. It's like. Oh, yeah. Like don't get me wrong. I look at my house and I'm like, I have space here for kettlebells. I have space enough to put a hook down yeah. and I can I can tie up kettle um I can tie up battle ropes if I really wanted to down here. Yeah. But it's just like Do I really the, want to? The, I do want to, like in theory, but it's like that drive and you know, putting out the money for it that I'm like mm. And that's the thing, it's like and that's kinda the and you know, you touched on you know, kind of the benefits that of Dana White trying to push like the UFC 249 card and all other cards that he's possibly going to try to push, but the downside is like in in the current events that we are living in right now. Are you really going to try and justify charging people sixty bucks for a pay per view because people some people are struggling just to buy food, you know? And that that's where I'm kind of like cool you know push the fights but also understand that like you can't charge people 60 bucks because people are struggling in america and as this you know as the virus is growing and it's kind of like more cases are coming up in the thousands by the end of every day like you kind of have to be cognizant of that because you don't want to leave a bad taste in people's mouths where they're like oh when we had this going on you still charge us 60 bucks and people already had a problem with paying five bucks a month while on top of paying 60 bucks so he just kind of has to think about that yeah um i don't know like it's it's the same battle i have once again with wrestling like as as cool as it is that they're pushing through like i was slightly uncomfortable watching AEW last week i think i touched on it mm. where it's like i'm i'm like psyched to see live wrestling at the same time it's like damn like these guys are i wouldn't say putting their life on the line putting their health on the line out yeah. there and then there's like old heads who are just sitting in the crowd like managers of wrestlers that they just brought there to literally just sit there and do nothing who they are putting their life on the line like yeah. leaving the house yeah and and that's where it gets scary because when you think of the idea of like sports entertainment you under there's a certain aspect to these you know, like these you know the big managers and the presidents vice presidents where they're all kind of like all right if we completely shut down, there's no money to be made. But if we don't shut down, how do we do this in a way where it's safe for our athletes, but also still entertaining? And the idea of empty arenas was like, all right, cool. Like maybe we can do it. But for me, it's weird because in the wrestling aspect, I feel like a lot of the bits and the promos that the wrestlers do are solely dependent on the crowd's reaction. So when there is no crowd, it's like it's going to be weird just putting on wrestling matches. 
mm-hmm. because there has to be some element of, you know, character in it, and there has to be some sort of element of that entertainment, not just the wrestling aspect, but also the promos. Because really, if you think about it, a guy could be really crappy at wrestling and have very basic moves, but if he can talk his way into a title match, like, and we've seen a lot of people do that in in the wrestling era, like, just those guys that have so much charisma, they have so much drive, and they really get people behind them, and they might not be the best wrestler, but they end up headlining WrestleMania because their promos were the best, you know? That's why John Cena was one of the best <laughs> for so long. I know you might not agree with me, but... <laughs> Look behind you, okay? You got a never give up headband and the uh, wristbands. You, you can't see me. I am the John Cena fan of my friend group. <laughs> oh, snap. Like, let's get into some news, though, because I'm not going to lie. It's really tough to talk about the virus. Yeah. I want to, like, the these first 15 minutes is fine, but I, I want people to sit back, relax, and just, like, Let's talk some MMA. Yeah, even even saying the name of the virus is ridiculous to me. Like yeah. it was almost like us not saying Connor's name for a while. Dude, I told Jen after all this, you know, Lord willing, everything passes and things, re- you know, become a little more normal because it'll never be like the same again. I yeah. I, I do believe that the world will never be the same, but yeah. I do think that we will have some type of normalcy. Um. I never want to hear the words quarantine. Yeah. Self distancing. I hate that term. I feel like I don't know. It it just urgh. like I think Pash will understand why I hate it because he knows like where I sit. And it's it's not that I even know where I sit politically, but Pash knows my thoughts on certain things. So yeah. I feel like he understands why I hate that term. But there's all those words that they're bringing up, I never want to hear again. Yeah. I agree. You ready for some news? Oh yeah. There there's very these are very very like Oh, this is news this week. Must be a light week, but I think that we can make it magic. So, the first thing to finish off with the whole virus. Um Dana promises pay to fighters whose fights were canceled or rescheduled. So, Whatever that means in Dana White speak, the fighters are going to be compensated one way or another. I do respect that. Um, I think that Bellator probably worded it a little better where they just ended up paying everybody. Yeah. Like, and just, like, it doesn't matter what they're making, win and, you know, show money or just, like, show money. The fact that they just said, yo, we're paying everybody. I think that's the better way to do it, but I do respect Dana for at least addressing the situation. Yeah, because at that point, you know, think about it. There's a lot of people out of a job right now. You know, you can call them athletes all you want, but at the end of the day, they're getting paid to do a job, and when they're not scheduled to do that job, they're paying to train for that job, and if there's no money coming in, how are they paying for training? How are they paying for their living expenses? How how are they paying for the outside training that they're doing, you know, that that isn't a part of, you know, their regular camp? You know, like that costs a lot, you know. Some people, from what I've seen, have put anywhere upwards between twenty to $50,000 for a fight camp to make sure that they get, like, the cryotherapy. They have 
a nutritionist on board. They have, you know, those people that do the deep tissue massages and all that to make sure that their bodies recover fast to get through the next, you know, day. So, you know, the fact that he's paying them is good because at least they know like, all right, well, the organization that I fight for, the organization that I put myself on the line for whenever I'm signed to fight, like they took care of me, you know, and that matters so much because imagine if he didn't, you know how many people will be headed off to like one or Bellator or PFL yep. only, and, and, and think about it. It's not because they're losing fights and they get their contract, you know, like just terminated. No, it's because when you had the chance to step up, not just as a president of an organization, but also, as a good human being, you you let your you let your team down. You let everyone down, and that's not the kind of image that I think Dana wants to portray of himself and the UFC. So, you know, the moves that he's been making so far have been good. Yeah, um, I just want a little more clarity to it. Like, I hope that a fighter... Like, Ashley Evan Smith was someone who was very vocal about, like, yo, like, I'm in London. Like, as well as, um... Who else was the other fighter? Um, Vittori. What's... Oh, Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori. Like, he was in London. Yeah. Like, and he spent most of the time, like, in the air. And then, like, had to head back. It was, like, a 48 hours, like, of craziness. Like, I hope that they, like, come forward and say, yo, here, UFC took care of me. Like... That way, we know that Dana meant what he said. Yeah, and because and can, I mean, it, it sucks because even like when when uh, Joe Lozon and uh, Paul Felder were like explaining how it works, like let's say they're scheduled to fight in Vegas, like they get a plus one for a tank a ticket, and you have three to four coaches, which means somebody's got to put up for them, and it's most likely not going to be them; it's you. And it sucks because all of those expenses, they count for so much. But, you know, like, I just feel like if taking that approach is just easier because in, in this, you know, in the situation that we have with all these fights being canceled, like, you know, there's a lot of fighters who are probably going to end up rethinking if they want to fight again. Because like you said, like you touched on the world may not being, probably not being the same again. And they're like, is it worth the risk fighting in empty arenas? having to worry about not being able to make money. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, it sucks because, like, me knowing fighters, I can just imagine what they're going through, you know, because they're not on the counter platform. So at this point, every fight is do or die for them to get their name out there, you know, and those are the people I really feel for because they're still fighting to get to that place. And because of the crap that's going on, they might never have that chance because if it doesn't get better, what happens with them? You know, that that's the crappy part about all of it, you know? And like, I work in the food industry and I know for a fact, because I'm, I'm fortunate enough to still be working at this time. Um, I know for a fact that restaurants Small businesses are closing. Yeah. Like, this is, like, ruining business. And I can only imagine what this is doing for the small gyms around the, you know, you know around the world. Yeah. I'm, and it sucks because most of them, they're, like, technically they're 
living paycheck to paycheck. Like if you think about it, like tuition to tuition, like like they rely on your tuition, yeah, to pay the bills. That's why it's so important. And like I wish I would have known this when I was younger, because it's like when you're coming in and out of a gym, like and you're going back and forth. Like, all right, maybe you had financial issues or whatever. Maybe you're in school, you just can't afford to pay it. But when you're constantly doing that and they're losing people, gaining a little bit here and there, like, it's tough to keep the lights on because it's not like living in a one-bedroom apartment. Like, the bills to to actually keep a place open, like a building like that, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And if you're charging people, like, 150 bucks a month, but you only get 10 to 15 students a night, like, that's rough you know and and that's the that's the sad part cuz you're going to see a lot of people that poured their lives into trying to be a good coach or trying to be a great fighter and for all that to just be tossed away it sucks man it really yeah, sucks it's rough but i do want to move to some like more lighthearted news yeah um let's talk wait Actually, let's talk about this because I don't know if you saw this, but did you read about ATT's zero tolerance policy when it comes to trash talk now? Yeah, it's total BS. Yeah, 100%. Like, like you're the gym that houses Colby Covington. Yeah. Okay? You're also the gym that houses Jorge Masvidal. Are you going to kick Jorge Masvidal out, who right after this stuff was stated – was quick to say this is a load of garbage and, you know, this guy is this and that, that and this, like, straight up. Yeah. Now what? I I want to see how zero tolerance for your policy is. Yeah, because if anybody should be kicked out, it's Colby. Yeah. Because think about it. Like, oh, he did this little crappy-ass apology post for Dustin. Yeah, because you knew Dustin was going to clean your clock, son. No, Don't. he – here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people understood. Colby originally apologized to Dustin and then said something again. Yeah. And had to apologize again. Yeah. I know. I saw that. And it's stupid. It's like, are you really willing to go that far against people? This isn't people at, at Henry Hoof's gym. You're doing this to people that you train with every single day. That's slimy. And that's really cowardice. Like, and, and whatever, you're a fighter. Say it to their face, right? But it goes beyond that. Like, if you think about it, and we get into the deeper parts of this this situation, this is a professional setting where fighters are going to train to become better athletes. And all this drama, it just feels more like love and hip-hop than it does fighting. And it's stupid. It's like, he sh- he said, she said... Somebody's calling you a coward. The other person's calling you a scumbag. Another person's saying that you're not who you portray yourself to be. And it's like, what is this? Like, why is this going on? If you're going to have a zero tolerance policy, you should tell the man who started this trash talking crap to keep his mouth shut in and out of the gym. And if he does it again, kick him out. I'm sure there will be other gyms waiting to take him in. <laughs> the only place I see him going is Jackson Wink because you got a bunch of snakes in there, man. Oh, yeah, everybody's a snake there. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Andre, what's your thoughts on Gilbert Burns's recent like surge in popularity after the knockout of Damian Maya? I mean, you know, I think for me, it's the fact that he called out Kobe. Yeah. Which people hate Kobe, so people love that. And then after that, him willing to take that Tyron Woodley fight and pushing for it so hard. Do you think that that is like what made him like is basically making him like he's up there in the rankings now. Yeah. And he has the chance to fight these guys. You know, he called out Colby, but like now he's talking with like Michael Chiesa and it seems like that's a fire fight to make. Yeah. Like, and it, it seems like Michael Chiesa might get that fight and that fight for Michael Chiesa right now, fighting someone who is, I think is number six, five or six, like is perfect. Yeah. Because Michael Chiesa isn't up there, and he has that chance now. Yeah, because think of think of the one guy that he, he was supposed to fight. He was technically the only one who called him out was Jeff Neal, mm-hmm. and maybe Neil Magny. So it's like, all right, like those are good fights, but they're not in the position that he wants to be at, you know? Because you know, no disrespect to both of them, but because they're not super high in the rankings, you know, it's kind of like a step back for him. Even though. You can face a tough prospect and, you know, beat them and still be seen as a top five guy because you went against tough opposition. You know, we've seen that a lot. But the thing is, for me, you know, what I think of is can Michael Chiesa bring a different side of him out when he's fighting a dangerous opponent like Gilbert? Excuse me, because you have to think of who he's fighting. He's fighting a guy who is dangerous everywhere and his striking keeps getting better this fight coming in at 170 he was ripped jacked and he looked like a completely different fighter as opposed to his last matchup when he fought Gunnar Nelson where yeah he looked fit but he looked a little pudgy at the same time but now that his body is responding to being at that weight now he has more speed, more strength. He has explosiveness. I mean, he's popular because he's a bad man. And I'm sorry. When you're training at Hard Knocks 365, I mean, with Henry Hooft, you're going to be a bad man over time. You know, and you can see the improvements with the guys who are training over there. Vicente Luque, Gilbert, Kamaru. I'm not saying Kamaru is a master at striking, but the man, he's got some decent hands now. And he's... Mixing in head kicks and knees and elbows. I mean, Henry Hoof is a mastermind at striking. And with Gilbert having a coach like that, I mean, you can only imagine the leaps and bounds he's going to continue to take. But with a fight like Michael Chiesa, it's going to be tough because even though Michael's not the most polished striker, he knows how to get to the inside and get a takedown. And he's very, very deadly on top. I mean, Michael Chiesa's top pressure is crazy for his. And then you have to think about how big he is as a man. Like, this guy is huge for the welterweight division. He was even bigger for 155. But him at 170, he's got more muscle mass. He's faster. And he's just more ferocious. Like, he's just willing to go for the kill now. Before in his other fights, not so much. But now it's like he's got a different step. And it's crazy when you see the difference that not cutting weight makes. So now we get to see real competitive fights, you know. And that's what I love about 
fighters just deciding like, yeah, I might be giving up a little bit of size. But now, without having to cut a bunch of weight, I can focus more on skills. And sometimes that really benefits people. So, listen, the only thing I'll say about Gilbert is don't sleep on him. Because when I see him in matchups like Kobe Covington, Michael Chiesa, I see him doing a lot better than people think. Because when when he stepped in to fight Gunner, people were like, nah, that is, he's way out of his league. He's a good grappler, but Gunner is bigger than him. He's very fluid in his movements on the ground. Like he can he can get the full amount like that. He can get to your back like that. And people saw what he did to Cowboy Oliveira. At that point, you're like, oh no, I don't think Gilbert. That's a good idea. You know, he had gotten knocked out by Dan Hooker. You know, at 155, and people are like, oh, maybe he's just not at that level. And he showed us a completely different side of him. You know, that he was able to take shots, and he was able to stand with these guys and grapple with them and still do well. And now that he's in this different evolution, like this evolved state where he's even stronger, faster, more agile, more fluid in his striking, like it's it's going to be crazy to see what he can do. But I really did like the matchup between him and Woodley because Woodley's strong. He's powerful. He hits hard. One-punch one knockout power, but he's got good leg kicks. He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I know it's not at the level of you know Gilbert's, but... You know, still, it's not for nothing. He really is a legit black belt. You know, and that would have been a crazy matchup because they're both, like, kind of the same size. They're both strong. I mean, it's matchups like that that it gets my mouth watering, you know? Yeah, I was excited. For, I'm always excited for that, like, heavy, heavy underdog. Like, if a 19, if a number 15 can fight, like, a number 5, like, and come out on top, like, th- that's what gets me going, like you say, like. I get really excited for stuff like that. Yeah, it was like when, when and it's funny that I'll say this, you'll probably be like, what are you talking about? But like when, when Uriah signed off to fight Peter Jan, like there were a lot of people who were like, uh, this doesn't make sense. But then it's like, it kind of does because at one point Uriah dropped down to 135 and he was fighting guys that people were like, uh, you know, maybe he'll do good. Maybe he won't, you know? Mm-hmm dominating them when he fought michael mcdonald people were like nah this guy you know what i mean this guy's the real deal mm-hmm. goes in and just smokes him just smokes him so i'm thinking like if he if he technically smoked ricky simone maybe he can show something that peter jan's never seen you know maybe like maybe his jujitsu kind of prevails and he can weather the storm take this guy down but we saw like just some guys are like nah dude like i'm number four for a reason and maybe Woodley could have done that to Gilbert. We don't know. But, you know, like, it's always the story that comes with it. Yeah. You know, and that and that's the best part about MMA. I always say it. Styles make fights. And it doesn't matter what your ranking is. What matters is how you fight when that cage door closes. Because some people just have it in their minds that they're going to win because they have the key. And they're going to put on a masterful performance, you know. Yep. A lot of people kind of get, you know, counted out Cody Garbrandt when he fought Dominic Cruz. Nearly 90% of people who who voted, you know, for Hennon Burrell versus TJ Dillashaw, you know, a lot of people voted that Hennon Burrell would finish him in the first round via submission or knockout, and they were all proven wrong. You know, like, and that's what I see, like, but it can go both ways. 
And that's why the welterweight division is so stacked because there's so many killers in there. And there's still guys coming up, you know. So, yeah, I can go on all day about the welterweight division, but there isn't enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another surging star who, me personally, I think that this guy has benefited the most from this time where nothing is going on and really the only thing to do is like search on social media and eat uh sugar sean how great are these videos that he's been doing dude i love it man like he is so entertaining he's so entertaining what was your favorite one my favorite one was when they were kind of like on the bike and he just started doing like the old granny oh, walk yeah. in the mall. He's like, gah, 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 so gah. the one knee and it keeps going. <laughs> like, I was like kind of sad that it was short because it was so hilarious. Yeah. Like, he kicked the bong and then the, uh, the limp biscuit song in the background was just <laughs> perfect. Dude. It, it, it's awesome because now we can see, like we've been seeing a lot of MMA fighters that are embracing that side of social media, like the new side of it, like yeah, t- let's TikTok and stuff like that. Let's give credit where credit is due. Bilal Muhammad was the first one to do the Tony Ferguson video. Yeah, one hundred percent, and he did it spot on. Like he's awesome, dude. He yeah, I think I, sp- I spoke to a guy who's like from this area. He's a, he's a local. Well, he he trains at Rufus Sport. He lives out there. Uh, Lenny. Lenny the Gorilla is his Instagram name. Ah. He fights for uh, Ring of Combat. Okay. And I spoke to him after his fight, and he was, like, posting, like, pictures with Bilal Muhammad. And I was like, I think Bilal Muhammad is maybe the funniest MMA fighter, like, around right now. And he was like, 100%, like, you got to see him at the gym. He's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And I like Bilal, too, dude. Like, Yeah, I think he's so good. Yeah, he is very, very good. Even in even in his fights with tougher like opposition, like he's shown that he can stand and bang with some of the best. You know. Yeah, he's, and he's he's gonna he's gonna get his time. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it just takes a couple months of like just real hard, precise and focused training for them to start believing. Like I am at an elite level that a lot of fighters have not even touched yet you know once people get that through their minds they're like all right like i can do this i oh you want me to fight number seven two weeks notice i can do this i'm in shape you know and i feel like he's that guy right now you know and 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 i feel like once he gets back I, i hope that he can start getting some good fights you know yeah i cannot wait uh we're gonna get into like the rest of the year in the next section. But uh, before we do get out of the news, I do want to ask you, what's your thoughts on the continuing, like, Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor heat? You know, like, I feel like things, because of what the world is going through, is uh, it's relatively slow, but I do believe that once Dana gets the okay, this fight gets announced. Yeah, you have to think about it, like, the reason why we're calling it heat is because of one thing. McGregor never responds unless he has something good to say. Like when when he said what he said about Paul Felder and Paul Felder kind of snapped back, he immediately like just hit him with a crazy ass like response. Like your your name is not even Irish, bro. And it's like, damn, that's messed up. 
But then you have like Dustin calling for that fight, and Connor's like, "Dude, I slept you in like ninety seconds. Don't ever say my name again." But with Gaethje, it's different because Gaethje fought guys that on paper looked like they could have beaten him, and based off of like fight videos, like you're like, "Yeah, I don't know, man. Like you might have met your match again." But Gaethje kept shining. Gaethje kept finishing people, knocking them out, and and you got to think of the people he's knocked out. You know, like and that and that speaks volumes. The fights that he was willing to take, you know, not just main events, but dangerous fights with people that that could have beat him. And a lot of people just aren't doing that unless there's unless it's high stakes, unless there's something to gain where they're like, you know what, this is worth it. Because there's a lot of guys in the lightweight division who are like eh, fighting number seven and I'm ranked number three. I don't know. Not a good idea. Don't want to lose my spot waiting for that belt, waiting for that title shot. I want to fight somebody above me, you know, and it sucks. But McGregor, his star power gives him the ability to call out who he wants. It gives him the ability to say, this fight makes sense for me right now in my in, in this part of my career. And a lot of people just can't argue. But in my opinion, this is a fight that McGregor really can't run from because even from the beginning like of Gaethje's tenure in the UFC after he beat Michael Johnson, he's like, I want everybody. I want everyone at lightweight. I don't care who it is. I'll fight anyone. And he had tough fights, fights that he looked good in. He looked good in the Eddie Alvarez fight. He looked good in the Dustin Poirier fight. I mean, both of them came out severely damaged. And when he started on the winning track again, you see like, once you start improving, it's hard to stop that train. And it, that's going to be, aside from like a Khabib and Tony and maybe a Felder, like that's going to be McGregor's toughest opponent to date because Gaethje does not care if you have one-punch knockout power. It doesn't matter what kind of dynamic striking you bring to the cage. He's going to move forward. He's going to throw his shots. And he's going to keep hitting you. It doesn't matter how many times he hits you. He's going to hit you until you quit or until you're asleep. And that's the scary thing about him. He has excellent wrestling. So what happens when he starts hitting McGregor with some hot stuff and McGregor can't take the power and he tries to shoot? Fight's over. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a good fight, not just for the fans, but for both of their legacies. Because then you get to see, like, how good is Justin Gaethje? Because we haven't found out yet. You know, like he fought Edson, knocked him out in the first round, which blew everyone's mind. I knew it blew my mind because I did not see that fight going like that. Then he goes ahead and he fights Donald Cerrone. And I'm like, you know what? With Donald's last performance against Tony, like we could see like him. Maybe he improved because of he uh, the fact that he fought Tony. And Gaethje was like, nope, like this is my time. I'm ready to go. Changed up his style. Now he has a more defensive style where he's moving his head more. He's changed the way he's blocking. Like, it's a serious matchup that needs to happen. And for a UFC event, like a main event, I'd pay to see that because that's no that's no fight night main event for me. I said that before because I'm like, you know, what? it is what it is. Like Connor's returning, it shouldn't be a main event. But now, yeah, that has to be a main event. Yeah, my. <clears throat> Here's what I think is the smoking gun in this uh, situation. It's Ali Abdelaziz and the fact that he represents Justin Gaethje and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, 
I know that you can't factor in your other client into your decisions. Yeah. But if if I know him, the sleazeball he is, yeah. he says, look, Khabib's not fighting Connor. Justin will fight Connor. And then if Connor beats Justin, then we can make that other fight. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. At the end of the day, like, that's the crazy thing about Ali. Like, if you look at the list of people he has, you know, it's it's nuts. But, you know, like, either way, we can't run away from the fact that Connor will find a way to tweet or talk his way into another fight that is massive for the sport. And the reality is, whether we like him or not, whether we think he deserves another title shot or not, none of us can deny that we won't be excited to see it. So it it really just begs the question, like, just when? When is it going to happen? But all this talk of, you know, for the fifth or sixth time, Khabib versus Tony isn't happening. Like, who knows what's going to go down, man? It It's getting crazy. Yeah, I, but listen... I didn't bring it up. I I still think that we should wait till next week to talk more about it. Yeah. But I will say this. I don't know if you saw what Dana said to Brett on Instagram Live, but I do believe that they're going to take some of these main events that were canceled or rescheduled and move them to this card so it could be bigger. Yeah. Um, Let's get into some questions. These aren't listener questions. I just made... A list because I feel I I knew we'd need to fill some time, and I just thought of some fun questions, some stuff that we have answered, but maybe like in the first couple episodes, I do want to bring you know those back so some of the new listeners can get your thoughts on certain things. So uh, the first question: Which friend or family member can you credit for your love of MMA, if any? I have to give that spot to my uncle Alex. Um. I remember kind of watching the early days of the UFC and, you know, just on and off. It was on Spike TV, catch a couple fight nights here and there. Maybe Nate Diaz was fighting, you know, maybe uh, Melvin Gillard was on the card. And, and I love those guys, you know, but I think that the real love for MMA kind of came when he started, you know, showing me WEC and how there were smaller guys that were killing it. And there were guys who were like 5'2", fighting at 125 and 135. And I'm like, holy crap, like, this is crazy. Like, there are some guys that are like 5'3", fighting. And then came, you know, like, Joseph Benavidez and freaking, um, God, I always forget his name. Um, But, you know, DJ was there too, Dominic Cruz. And at that time, pre-USADA, this dude, he had like a 20-pack. He was like ripped. He had this crazy style. Like, there were so many guys that were in the, like, the WC era. Then you had Anthony Pettis. And I would sit there and I would watch all the events with my uncle. And my uncle fell in love with it, especially when he saw Uriah Faber, like, win the belt. And then, you know, the uh, the coming of Jose Aldo. Like, we were excited because we were like, dude, like, this is the real deal. Like, these guys are changing the sport. And it was the reality was is that that's what exactly what was happening. Like Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, all of them, we never saw it before because you know the the lightest weight they had in the UFC was 155. So to see these smaller dudes and even the bigger guys like Cerrone and Condit, like it was awesome to see. Like I fell in love with the sport more because that's where 
you know, they were exciting fights. And, and I loved it, man. And I have to credit him for that because if he didn't show me WEC right away, I don't know if I would have paid attention to it. Yeah, I I can definitely credit it to uh, Joey and Jay Mendez. Uh, very good childhood friends of mine. I, I look to those guys like brothers. Um, even though we spoke about my, like, MMA, like, history is kind of kind of foggy because like my first pay-per-view I remember watching 100% like live that I remember myself watching was uh Silva versus um Weidman I know for a fact I watched that live that was the first one I remember watching yeah but I have this like weird memory of like Uriah Faber I used to watch Every WEC card that was, like, on TV, like, I know for a fact. I remember sitting in my room in Jersey at the time, and just, like, I had a TV just like the one that's in the corner of our office right now. And I would just watch WEC, and I remember, like, vividly the California kid, like, 100%. But I can't, like, pinpoint it, like, at all. But I know that was my start of my MMA fandom, but my, like hardcore like i'm doing a podcast years later i credit that to jay and joey mendez those guys are lifelong fans like ufc one like stuff even before that like jay was doing jujitsu before i even knew what jujitsu was oh yeah so um as far as my credit for my love of mma i have to give it to those guys and honestly just like my growing passion for it has come from doing this podcast 100 percent. yeah man i mean this podcast is awesome yeah (laughs) for sure uh next question i know we've we've talked about this before what's your favorite style of martial arts man it's a tough one for me man because i'm a lover of all martial arts but i know i know you did wrestling in high school yeah um and you've trained jujitsu on and off for a really long time yeah as well as, you know, striking. I don't know if you did any Muay Thai or anything, but, like, yeah. if you had to pick from those three, like, what would you say was, like, your go-to? See, for me, like, I think of, like, the most effective in a, I guess, kind of in a physical altercation standpoint. And all of them are good, but when I think of what I go to in those situations, like, wh- like the way my brain is wired, like, it's always been jujitsu. Because I feel like that's, in most cases, that's the ultimate nullifier, you know? It's a great way to kind of stop a fight without truly hurting someone. And it's also a great way to just keep yourself from getting really hurt. And, uh, yeah, it's always just been jujitsu, like, just the dimensions. And when you look at when I started compared to now, like, the way jujitsu has grown not just the different techniques and the styles and the new metas, but it's also like the fact that there are people who are making a living off of super fights and endorsements with gi companies and no gi companies where they're doing the apparel stuff. Like it's incredible to see where this, how the sport has grown and the competition, like how elite they've gotten. Like you see like, people doing super fights willingly against guys who are a hundred pounds heavier than them because they're like, listen, if I get this heel hook, it's over, you know? And it's insane to see that now. Like you just see how a guy who's 140 pounds 
can beat someone who's 250 pounds and it's happened in the street fights too like you can see it sometimes where a guy who's smaller and maybe skinnier and not that much muscle mass can really just outthink someone and that's what i think like i see jujitsu as chess and if you can outthink somebody if you're three steps ahead generally you can win a fight a lot easier and a lot safer so that's probably my all-time favorite martial art yeah mine's honestly switches every few months like i go through like this wrestling phase where i just like love wrestlers i'm like oh yeah like wrestlers dominate the sport but like i think i have to credit it again i know you guys are going to be annoyed but like i have to credit it to this podcast where like my love for the art of muay thai is like grown exponentially especially with the rise of one championship and like watching these fights Dude, you know how inspiring it was watching John Haggerty throw that push kick and then like them say like how he's been training it for years and like showing footage of him like training it in the gym. Yeah. I love that. And uh Muay Thai is just awesome. I mean, huge Anderson Silva fan, obviously he's my favorite fighter of all time. And then like you know, it's very similar to kickboxing. Yeah. So like watching Izzy like Oh man, dude! Like, yeah, and and he's and the crazy part is he's not just a master at kickboxing. He's got good Muay Thai too, and good boxing. But like, that's like my second favorite because some of the best kickboxing matches of all time, and some of the best kickboxers in the world have been Muay Thai practitioners. For example, Buakau, Lurdzilla, even Giorgio Petrosian. Like those guys have paved the way for kickboxers who start off in Muay Thai. Like. And those are the guys that I look at when I think of who got me started when I when I started doing kickboxing, you know, because I did kickboxing before I did jujitsu, and I look back to watching Giorgio Petrosian fights from the beginning, like when he was 17, 18 years old, watching him fight Lumpini Stadium champions and watching him fight Buakau, like prime Buakau before he won the, the, the K1 championships, like watching him face a superstar like that as a teenager, you know, like that's the stuff I remember. But Muay Thai, that's another chess match because you can both be really good at the basics, but if one person just has a better and faster left, like middle kick, like that can change the pace of a fight. There might be a Muay Thai fighter who's good at those kicks, but there's just one who just has better footwork and better head movement. And he can kind of put his combos together. Like, that's why I love, like, arts like that, that are just individual. Like, you see a lot of, like, MMA fighters, like you brought up Anderson Silva, where he was good at almost everything. Black belt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, long-time Muay Thai practitioner, good boxing, good capoeira. You see guys like Connor who can do everything pretty well. But it's so different when you see someone dominate in that one sport because they're just the best at what they do. And I love seeing that, man. Yeah, it's fantastic, like... Again, just that same fight, like Jonathan Haggerty versus um, Rod Tang, yeah. too. He hit him with this dirty head kick that would have knocked anybody out, but Rod Tang stayed stiff. He was and just after like, he took the kick, punched himself in the jaw like to show, like, nah, I'm good. I love it, because even, even like in the first fight, when he like push-kicked him, and Rod Tang was just like, yeah. Come on, man. It, like, I want more. And it just goes to show you that toughness, man, like, that comes from, like you said, lifelong training where, and you got to think about it, like, 
I know that uh, Volkanovski touched on it when he did an interview preparing, I think, for the fight with Chad Mendez. And he was talking about how he splits his camps between Tiger Muay Thai and back at home in Australia. Yeah. And um, he was talking about how he was like, dude, look at these kids. Like, most of them are like four or five, but they're doing full contact sparring with no gear on because this is all they know. He's like, most of them. By the time they're 10, they've got 60, 70 fights under their belt. Yep. And when you bring a guy like Rod Tang, where all he's ever known was those four corners and those ropes and throwing kicks and punches, elbows, and knees, like there's something special about that. Because you can tell, even if they lose a fight on points, you know that they're destined to be champions. Yeah, and 100%. As, and as good as Haggerty is, as fluid and as slick as he is, there's just something different about a Rod Tang who can push that pace like no one else. And I loved it, man. Like, that's why I love one championship. They got yeah. excellent fighters. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> and uh, my last thing about Muay Thai, if you're not following Sanchai on Instagram, he is the most underrated martial arts follow ever. He is He's, like, so much fun. He does a lot of teaching on there, and yeah. like he he's like a jokester too, so it's it's really funny. But and he's a legend, so if you're not following him, you have to follow him. I love Sanchai, man, and and he's the embodiment of it works because I do it in fights. Oh well, does it work on bigger people? Yeah, and and oh, does it work on someone who's stronger? Yeah, like he's shown it. He's fought in guys. In their weight classes, they're like 170 pounds, strong, powerful, and he just outsmarts them. He's just so good at the basics, so good at things that a lot of people don't really practice in the gym that he can just kind of catch you off guard. Like, throw that powerful roundhouse, and he just goes, catches it, and he's just like, oh, where am I going? Trips you. Fall on your head. <laughs> or then you think he's going to trip you, and then he head kicks you with a cartwheel kick. Like, it's just all those things. Like that's why he's number one pound for pound. And a lot of people ask, well, how he's got so many losses on his record. Look at who he's beaten. Because if you look at the early stages of Sanchez's career, he was he was one of the best fighters of all time. But when it was time for him to fight the guys that were the real deal, he didn't play around like that. Like he, I remember there was a study where he fought. I always forget this guy's name, but he was the number two in the world, and Sanchai was number one, and the dude was coming for his spot, and this other guy was like a seven-time Lumpini Stadium champion, and they went at it for a while, and the guy was showing his skills, and Sanchai was ultra-focused, and then eventually, he found the opening. After filling this guy out, he knew. He was like, all right, mix the hands, throw the head kick, bam, finished him, knocked him out. People were like, how? How did he do it? This guy was so good at defense. He was so good with his power punching. Like, how did Sanchai do it? It's just a chess match, man. So it, it's good to hear that you love Muay Thai. Oh, dude, I love it. Um, who's an athlete that you think can transition seamlessly to MMA, whether it be like an NBA, uh, an amateur wrestler that you're aware of, anybody like is there somebody that you have on your mind? I'll give you two. I'm going to go martial arts world and non-martial arts world. Is okay. that cool? Yeah, yeah, of course. So ob my obvious answer all the time is going to be Gordon Ryan. Mm -hmm. If he gets into a cage 
even if he can't strike, I promise you, no matter where the fight goes, he's going to finish anybody. It does not matter. You can take him down. You can throw a couple punches. And when he pretends to be hurt or if he actually gets hurt, it doesn't matter. This guy's ability not only to pass the guard but control the pace of a match and also control the posture of his opponent with basically not exerting any energy whatsoever and being able to do things to people that make no sense to others, like especially high-caliber grapplers, like he's going to do that at an even more higher level in MMA against guys who are good in a couple areas but aren't masters. So just imagine him getting on top of somebody, you know, and just like legit just barely putting any effort and just destroying them, just choking them out, even if they're, you know, like the choking is secured under the neck. Or, like he's just that good. Yeah, I'll do the same thing as you. I'll actually say my uh, my martial arts one, and then we'll both say our uh, our regular athlete. Yeah. But um, my mar- I'm going to stay in the Donna Hare, my the Donna Hare death squad and say Nick Rodriguez. Uh, freak athlete, yeah. insanely powerful. You saw, I don't know if you saw Kasai Pro, um, what he did to Cyborg. Yeah. But um, just that alone and, like, his performances, whether it be ADCC or these super fights that he's had, he's just a fantastic athlete. And, you know, if, if he had some hands, I think that he would do pretty damn good in MMA. Listen, like, it's not just the jiu-jitsu. Like, he's got the submissions, and the wrestling is there. He's strong. He's young. And listen, if this kid, like, focused on, like, maybe at least some Muay Thai and, like, real got, like really got well-versed with the defense and knows how to throw a couple punches and kicks, like, he'd be dangerous. Like, yeah. it would it would take, like a, like, a Volkov, like a Drago Volkov to, like, really break him down at distance and keep him away if he could. You know, mm-hmm. because at at that point, anybody that lets him wrap their like wrap his arms around them or do a blast double, I just don't see them surviving. I don't care who you are. Like this kid is just that good. For him to be called the black belt slayer, there's a reason for that. It's not all hype. This kid's going in fighting guys that have thirty years of of jujitsu experience, gi and no gi, and he's dominating them. Yeah, using 100%. using he's simple up the techniques louder so fast. R- remember, this guy's not even a black belt. Yeah, he's not. He's he just got his purple belt. So you're talking about 20 years of experience versus Division three wrestling and maybe two or three years of experience in jiu-jitsu. I'm sorry, but people may not agree because I know a lot of people have shot down the idea of someone being born to do something. But I'm sorry, there are people in this world who were born to fight, born to compete, and he's one of them. It's not just the mindset. He has the physical makeup of like a warrior. You know in those those warrior type movies where you see that one guy that you know if he steps on that battlefield with a sword, he's going to kill at least a thousand men with no problem. So yeah, that that's one that I 100% agree with. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that he can't pass a drug test because <laughs> UFC would do wonders with him. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's no uh, way. You're, I'll, I guess I'll go first for the non-athlete. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm sorry. I'm going to cheat. Um and this is someone who's I believe is retired, but I think that if he would have joined MMA at the peak of his career, 
he would have been a fantastic addition to the heavyweight division. Pash, you're going to love this. Ben Wallace. I don't know if you remember Ben Wallace. He used to play for the Detroit Pistons Dude. back in the day. He he bounced around the league a lot after that, but hell of a right hand, just humongous. Obviously, if he played basketball, freak athlete. Like I think he would have been fantastic addition to the heavyweight division, especially at that time. Oh yeah, like listen, I I go back to like the finals where they played the Lakers, and you just see. That, yeah, maybe averaging four points a game, but the impact level that he would have by just using sheer athleticism and strength. Like, if he brought that to the UFC, that would have been terrifying. For him to be knocking people out with one shot after maybe a year or two of MMA training and him getting better over time, like, he'd be dangerous. And it's funny that you went the basketball route because I am also going in the basketball route. And I'm going to say my pick is LeBron James. Yeah, that's the that's really <laughs> no pun intended the layup is like LeBron James can transition. Oh yeah. And I mean, talk about an athlete, someone who was born to do whatever he wanted to do. Look at his body. Yeah. I mean, like football. He was a superstar. This dude was a 6-8 wide receiver who was fast, agile, strong, and extremely athletic. It, it like That would have been scary, too. But a lot of people thought, how good would LeBron have been if he, instead of played basketball, would have played football? He would have been one of the greatest wide receivers or tight ends in the history of the NFL. But imagine four to five years of just nothing but MMA training. He would be Conor McGregor level. 6'8", 265, with that kind of physical makeup, long arms, super strong, fast, athletic, a, a work ethic that a lot of people can't match. I mean, oh, my God, that'd be terrifying. And then on top of that, you see his frame year after year, his ability to go from 240 pounds to 270 to 285, back down to 240, back up to 260, and still be in incredible shape, still be athletic. Like, that That would have been scary, man. And I'll tell you, like, it's, it's crazy to think that some people really are just born to do something great. But I will say one more because I have to. If there is one guy I know who could transition to MMA very easily, it would be Deontay Wilder. <laughs> but at 205. Yeah. Oh, my God. Think of Deontay Wilder at 205. Think about what he would do to John Jones. Oh, my God. Dude, literally, John, I'm telling you, John would shoot. The moment that bell rang, he would literally go hands and knees and just jump at his legs. He wouldn't even bother. And I feel like Deontay would still knock him out. <laughs> For sure. Um, just to one lighthearted one and then a more serious one. Uh, what's your most underrated quote from a MMA fighter just like something you've heard in an interview that made you laugh and nobody really brings up or if if you can even think of one like what's something that always sticks in your mind that like an MMA fighter has said I got two my first one was Tito Ortiz after losing to Liam McGeary he said listen I gave 18 years of my life to the sport <laughs> I don't remember what else he said 
But that has been an inside joke with, with me, Jeff, and Ricky for years because we all saw that fight together, and we just made that our own little meme. He <laughs> Out of nowhere, he was just like, listen, guys, thank you for always supporting me. I gave 18 years of my life to the sport. <laughs> just like, what are you Jeez. talking about? But it was just funny because he got finished in like 45 seconds with like the weirdest inverted triangle. <laughs> it was hilarious. And he wasn't even mad about the loss. He just got caught. Like, Liam McGarry just threw up his legs and just sunk it in, and he tapped. And I was like, what just happened? Like, that was so weird. But my other one, I think the most underrated quote was after Zhang Weili won the title, she was like, my name is Zhang Weili, and I am from China. Remember don't, me. Please don't forget my name. <laughs> Remember me. I was so like, good. yes. So good. It was awesome. Um, I actually only asked this question because I was thinking about this quote all day, and I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> like, why does nobody talk about it? But it was a face-off. This guy's UFC debut. I'm talking about Platinum Mike Perry. His UFC debut against that Asian dude. And he just, like, goes to shake his hand, oh, yeah. pulls it back, gets into, like, a street fighter stance and said, thought you had a friend, boy. <laughs> and then My, <laughs> such a good quote. Yeah. That that one was pretty funny when I first saw it. <laughs> thought you had a friend, boy. So good. Obviously, something that's not quite underrated, everybody always talks about. I think it's my favorite quote is, don't be scared, homie. Yeah. I remember I went when I first opened the YB MMA Instagram, I went through like I was just the troll that would write that to every fighter. Like, yeah. Don't be scared, homie. I mean, listen, man, if we're talking about favorite quotes, yo, I it brings two to my mind. The first one, timing beats speed and precision beats power. power. Yep. But the second one is I'd like to take this chance to apologize to, to absolutely, absolutely nobody. nobody. The double champ does what the fuck he wants. So like, good. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up for Pash. I'm not impressed by your performance. <laughs> I'm looking right at George. Great quote. Fantastic quote. And our last question, we can close out the podcast with this. What's MMA's potential after the pandemic passes? Uh, I do think that MMA is something that I think after all of this goes away, Lord willing, that this sport will just be so much bigger. Um, I think fans are going to appreciate live experiences a lot more now after not being able to have them. Yeah. Um, Again, not just being there live, but being able to watch it live is just going to be, excuse me, (laughs) it's just going to be such a big deal. Um, as well as like it's just going to be something that's I think is going to be bring people together. It's going to be something that's going to be more popular now going forward. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely resonate with that statement because you kind of see like sure, you know, ESPN Plus has a bunch of, you know, UFC archived fights, but it's just not the same, you know, like the level of competition that these guys bring every night when they step out there live it's just something that's different you don't know what's going to happen you don't know who's going to win who's going to lose you don't know what's going to happen before or after and that's what brings the excitement and i think that also there's going to be a level of respect that people are going to have for fighters more 
And I hope that that also turns into revenue for them. Maybe the fighters get paid more because they get appreciated more. I mean, when you're talking about pushing cards in a situation like this, you can only imagine that a lot of these fighters are like, hey, like you want me to fight, but what about my like my livelihood? What about my health? You yep. know, And I feel like that will definitely be taken into consideration. And I, for one, now feel more inclined to buy tickets for a, a good UFC event because I don't want it to be like one of those situations where I may never get that chance, you know? Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people will definitely feel that way. For sure. Um, I cannot wait. Uh, Andre, this came out a lot better than I thought it would. I, I thank you for joining me here again. I pray that next week we are able to be here live once again. This has been YBE MMA. I didn't say that right. Hold on. <laughs> this has been this week's Your Boy Elroy. I am Josh Prep Beginning. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Prepson. One word. You can find the show on Instagram at YBE MMA Podcast as well as Teespring. Check out mine's and Andre's links in our bios on Instagram and Twitter to get the merch. Andre? Everyone, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the name Flow State Dre. And you can also find me on Facebook as my regular name, Andre. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Yes, five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, just real quick, I want to say congratulations to Andre. He has a clean-shaven face. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Andre, we hit over 3,000 downloads on our podcast feed we want to thank everybody who has joined us from the beginning if you're new if this is your first episode thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate every ounce of support that we get from you whether you listen one second or one hour thank you we appreciate it uh there are no fights this weekend but if it's your birthday happy birthday enjoy the weekend we'll see you next week <laughs>